Hello and welcome to the Emerging Cricket Podcast, online and on Sport FM in Perth. I'm Nick Skinner and this week it's something a little different as we dig into the vault to bring you a lengthy chat with friend of the pod, Peter Delapena, discussing his own cricketing journey. But first, many thanks to our newest patron, who goes by the intriguingly cryptic name of BRPE and has signed up to help sponsor the Emerging Cricket Project. It's the generosity of people like BR that helps us to bring you all the news from around the emerging game. So if you're enjoying the coverage, please consider supporting us on Patreon with contributions from as little as $2 a month to keep the website running and the stories flowing. To sign up, just go to Patreon, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Emerging Cricket. And now, here's Peter Delapena. Well, a couple of people have reached out to ask about your personal story, Peter. We do know you spent some time out here in Australia in the mid-2000s and how you ended up becoming a correspondent with uh, ESPN Quick Info. This one comes from Nishad Rego, who, of course, was one of our valued contributors and the media manager for Thailand at the recent T20 Women's World Cup. So a big tip of the cap to, to Nishad. Hope you're well. He did a fantastic job during the Women's World Cup, followed some of his content. It was fantastic what you guys were doing in conjunction with him. Uh, do we have, is, is there enough time to, to, to squeeze this into this podcast or do we need a separate podcast? <laughs> uh, basically, July 22nd, 2005, that was the day that changed my life forever. That was the the rip in, in the space-time continuum for the Back to the Future fans out there. I uh, landed in Brisbane, that was where my uh, initial exposure to cricket was. I was waiting for a connecting flight to go to Cairns. I was about to embark on a semester abroad in Sydney, but we were going to Cairns for our orientation. So we flew Los Angeles to Brisbane on a Qantas flight and uh, landed. And while waiting for my connecting flight on the newsstand in the airport, went over and picked up a copy of the Sydney Morning Herald and the front page headline from Chloe Southow's Recap of the first day's play at Lourdes in the first test of the 2005 Ashes. The headline was, Bloody Hell, These Palms Mean Business. And it was a picture of Ricky Ponting cut from the Steve Harmison bouncer in the opening day's play. And I tried reading it, and it might as well have been written in Chinese. <laughs> but um, that, that night, uh, we went to our hostel, and on all the TVs... In the hostel, every TV was tuned into SBS for the the start of the second day's play. Yeah, it was. Yeah, they had the rights, didn't they? Because Channel Four had the rights in England. Yeah. Yeah. Was it uh, Dean Jones? No, um, Greg Matthews. It was Dean Jones, Greg Matthews, and the anchor. I think was Simon Hill. It was Simon Hill. Yeah. And uh, so I watched them, and you could so you couldn't escape it. The point was, it was everywhere you went. And I thought if I want to fit in for the next six months and not make a fool out of myself and try and uh, assimilate to the Australian culture and learn as much as I can about being in a, a, a new country, then I should probably try and get to learn this. So I watched the rest of the first test every night, come back from, you know, we, we did all the, the typical stereotypical stuff. We, we did a Great Barrier Reef excursion and uh, we went to uh, an Aboriginal culture immersion experience in Cairns and in the daytime and did all this stuff but at night every night we came back and the, you know the ashes was on and you could pick up the, the basic elements quite easily and and this goes back to you know and I've talked in, in in various conversations about again letting people watch and letting them learn at their own pace and that last question said they need to ask questions so watching on the tv all right, ball gets hit along the ground, and goes into the boundary rope. You can see on the on the graphics on the screen, four runs get added to the to the score. Okay, that's not hard to understand. And if they hit it over the rope on the fly, six runs get added to the score, and not hard to understand. And if if the ball is hit in the air and it's caught in the air without it hitting the ground, you're out. And if the ball hits the stumps, you're out. And if yeah, you know, and it, you know, it's obvious because the the fielders all go out of their minds celebrating like it's the final out of the World Series. And um, you know, it it doesn't take a genius to figure out. All right, the guy just got out. It's a big that's a big deal. Um, so things like that were, were quite easy to understand. Um, trying to learn the game uh, without any help. But then, you know, in the mornings I would go again try and read the recaps of the newspapers or go online to websites and read scorecards and. 
that was a bit more difficult. So, so again, basic functionality in any sport, trying to read a scorecard to understand what's happened. I didn't understand the significance of, you know, runs compared to balls faced or what, why is, why is a four and a six listed in the scorecard, but not a one, a two or a three, you know, what makes a four or a six so special uh, compared to the other ways you can accumulate runs. Um, reading the bowers, uh, statistical column, you know, what is O, you know, what is O, M, W, and, um, you know, R, you know, you know, overs, overs, maidens, wickets, runs, whatever. Um, what, what, it, why is, what is economy? Why is that significant? Just inter- literally interpreting a scorecard, did, didn't know, un- know how to understand it. And then just hearing things and reading things, you know, what's the difference between spin and seam and swing? And, you know, e- even just the, the terminology itself that was interchangeable. What's the difference between a wicket, a wicket, and a wicket? You've got the same word that means three different things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, why would you arrange your batting order a certain way? I didn't understand um, when I was doing some research throughout the first match and in between the first and second matches. Everybody was talking about Adam Gilchrist. Adam Gilchrist at the time. Adam Gilchrist, he was like the one name in the Australian app that all the commentators were talking about. They couldn't shut up about. And he's such a feared batter, and and he's averaging fifty at that point in time. He was averaging fifty or fifty-two, um, batting at number seven. But I couldn't understand, you know, a lot of these references and things I was reading about. He opened in one-day cricket in the series before the Test matches. So why would somebody who averages fifty and who opens in one-day cricket? Um, why would you bury him at number seven? I didn't understand that. And why would you not open him in, in test cricket if you open him in one day cricket? And and so all these kinds of things. Um, and, and again, Shane Warren, everybody kept on talking about Shane Warren. And, you know, the camera was always on Shane Warren throughout that first match. And um, so it was obvious there was a, a, a charisma about him. He was a very, uh, the camera was always drawn to him. And if he's Australia's best bowler, well, why is he not opening the bowling? Why is the spinner not opening the bowling? Why is he waiting until the 30th or 40th over to come on? I didn't understand. So um, in between the first and second matches, uh, again, a moment that changed my life. The night before the second test began, there was there was a like a, a block party in my housing units at Macquarie University. I didn't mention that yet. So I, oh, I got it. <laughs> go ahead. Sorry, I, I, no, no, I was just we we both studied at Macquarie, so uh, at some point I'll just have to get just an opinion of what Macquarie was like. <laughs> roughly what seven years before I studied there, Nick, you were there as well, weren't you? Yes. Yeah. 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 For a good five years of my life this is our great bond this is our great link this is our, our shared bond we have we're all spawned by macquarie look 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 at the the, the genesis of what macquarie has done so uh Mac, yeah macquarie there was uh i was i was living at macquarie university village on culloden road and oh, and um what a place. i was i was in i lived in in unit three my address was three slash 122 culloden road all this stuff is is flooding back to me now in in morris field officially morris field new south wales postcode yes. 2122 um so it, you know i would i would i would either pick up the bus from the macquarie center or i would pick up the bus on the there was like a like a mini mall on not not the driving range golf course side but there was like a, a mini mall on i forget what road that was epping road maybe where i would pick up the bus from alternately uh didn't run as frequently but anyway uh yeah so there was like a, a block party with all the all the housing units and um i was living with a bunch of americans and and this was a mistake i made where on the housing application as a semester abroad student i i ticked i wanted to live in international housing and in my own mind as an American, I'm thinking international housing means I'm going to be living with Australians. And stupid me didn't process the fact that when you're applying to, to live at, an, at a university in Australia, international housing means you're living with Americans and people from other places in the world, not Australians. So <laughs> I, I had wanted to immerse myself in Australian culture, living with Australians, uh, check the wrong box. I, I should have checked the box that said live with a host family or some something else that would have put me with Australians. But anyway... Big, there was a big party going on, and luckily there was an Australian who, who wanted to party with all the Americans and uh, showed up. He was um, he was brought there by I was living with two guys and two girls in my house, and one of the girls, Julia, who was a, a very very lovely girl from Alabama, and she basically made friends with everybody. She was just a social butterfly. She uh, had a friend from one of her classes named Daniel, who was an Australian who 
had some sort of issues with his family at that point in time where his dad had kicked him out or something and, and um, he needed a place to stay for the night uh, temporarily while he sorted his um, living arrangements out. And so um, Julia was like, yeah, you can come and like sleep on our couch. And so Daniel came in and he, I think Daniel's plan was to just get drunk and um, party and go to sleep. <laughs> But I ruined his plans. Uh, I came across him and I was like, ooh, here's an Australian. He's like the first Australian who's like wandered into the village. Like, I have to ask him about cricket because everybody else here doesn't know anything about cricket. <laughs> and so, um, he, you know, he's just wanted to get drunk and go to sleep on the couch. Uh, it, it, he he must have wandered in at like 9, 30, 10 o'clock at night. And I, I was like, oh, I need to ask you all these questions about cricket. And so for the next hour and a half, I grilled him on everything I could think of about cricket, about what the commentators are saying. Like I said, all the stuff, you know, what's the difference between a wicket, wicket, and wicket. What's, what, you know, how would you arrange a batting order a certain way? What does this mean? What does that mean? Uh, I grilled him for an hour and a half, and I just kept on peppering him with question after question until he basically said, like, mate, I just want to go to sleep. <laughs> just just let me I've, I've i've gotten drunk um you know i'm already half drunk as it is trying to answer these questions like just let me just let me like pass out please but uh i'm very grateful to daniel because um he answered everything very very helpfully as best he could and then the next night the second test begins and i have a much 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 more um deep understanding and a much greater appreciation of what the hell is going on in terms of all the more nuanced things with cricket. And that test just happens to be one of the greatest you know, matches of all time. England wins by two runs. And that was the first match that I basically understood the rules to. After watching a match like that, how could you not get hooked on cricket? And after watching that, I was, you know, I was off and running and I, I never looked back. And um, I understood the significance of it at the time, too. I mean, because I had read so many of the scorecards and just from watching the, the, the as much as I did from the first match, I knew even at that stage that most cricket matches are decided by, you know, 100 runs, 200 runs, 80 runs, whatever, comparatively large margins. And, um, you know, the fact that it was going down to the wire, I understood the significance of it and, and you know, when it was decided. And you, you can, again, you can appreciate these things. You can pick these things up by judging by the on-field celebrations. Even by cricket standards, people don't celebrate the way that England celebrated. And in the studio, in the SBS studio, you know, Dean Jones and Greg Matthews were calling it the greatest match of all time. And, you know, Dean Jones, I didn't know this at the time. But reading later and researching later, I came to understand, you know, Dean Jones was part of the tie test in Chennai and played that epic innings in, in that match where he almost died. And for him, you know, to say this is the greatest match he's ever seen, you know, that's huge. And I, I, I understood this at the time and I was able to appreciate what was going on in the moment. And again, it just got me hooked and, and I just kept on going from there. And I think my favorite match in the series was actually um, the third match at Old Trafford because, again, it, it, there was a new element to it uh, that you didn't get in any of the sport. Going into the un, into the final day and watching the whole final day unfold, you know, generally speaking, those matches, they're starting at uh, 7.30 Australian time in the evening, and I would, I would, like, watch the first session, have my dinner during the first session, and then, like, watch the second session, and then I'd make, like, a midnight snack at the tea break, and then... <laughs> I I try and have that midnight snack to time it so that it would help me like have a little bit of energy to try and stay up through the last session of play and that would end around like two or three a.m. But I would always fall asleep at some point during the last session of play, except for that that last night when Ricky Ponting was batting. You know the, the tension was immense, and you know for him to get out with twenty four balls to go, um, I, you know I was up now it was past three a.m. and I was. I was bouncing around the room. I couldn't sit still. I mean, it was 3 a.m. And, and every other night I was like struggling to stay awake and passing out on the couch like midway through the final session of play. When Ricky Ponting gets out, I'm, I couldn't sit still. I'm bouncing around the walls. I'm just pacing back and forth. I'm, I'm sweating. My hands are all, all, all clammy. Like I, I couldn't I, I couldn't take it. And, um, you know, he, you know, Brett Lee and Glenn McGraw see off the last four overs. And uh, I'll never forget that it would have been like – quarter to four, close to four in the morning when the last ball, um, you know, Brett Lee sees off the full toss from Harmison. And I'm um, like, jumping up and down, like 
going nuts, like pounding the cushions on the sofa, trying to like express some emotion while trying at the same time trying to be as quiet as I possibly can. <laughs> because because my four roommates are sleeping in the in the other rooms and like if I wake them up at four in the morning over a cricket match, they're gonna strangle me because they don't you know, again they're all Americans. One was from Alabama, another one was from Massachusetts, one was from Pittsburgh and the other one was from Minnesota. And they they could care less. They didn't they didn't have any appreciation for what you know I was watching. There were some other kids who lived in the neighboring units. There was uh, a kid from Minnesota and a kid from Boston, who um, we all got hooked hardcore. And like I think by the fourth test we went to um, I think it was a Rebel Sports Shop, and we bought like a cricket starter set. And we we went into the neighboring park across the street where there's that baseball field across from the uh, MU Village. Yeah. And Waterloo, we, yeah. yeah, the Waterloo Park, yeah, exactly. And we would play, we would like play cricket with our starter set there. <laughs> and um, like we were, we were just, we were going bonkers. So we were, so, we were so in love. And by the fifth test, those, those two guys, um, Paul and Evan, or the names, they were watching like almost the entire day's play with me in my living room in, in Unit Three. They would come over and we'd be watching it, and like my roommates would think we're all like idiots. <laughs> but like the three of us were like, oh my god, like, like when when Glenn McGraw like was on the hat trick. Had Kevin Peterson come in and like you know the ball goes off his shoulder and we, you know we think he's out we're all going out of our minds like oh my god Glenn McGraw's got a hat trick and then you know everybody's like what the hell is wrong with you guys like this doesn't make any sense like what are you talking about like Glenn McGraw's like blowing amazing like shut up like get out of here like you know and then when when Warney dropped Kevin Peterson in the slips it was like oh my god Warney like how could you do this you like you let us down like oh my god Warney how how could this happen. And um, all that stuff. We were going through all those emotions, and it was it was just such an awesome uh, experience. Again, being immersed in that series, and and when and and this is something I, I want to stress as an American, and it wasn't just me. I, I want to you know emphasize that there were a group of us, small group of us, but there were a group of us who were completely in, in, you know immersed, infatuated with all this stuff. You appreciate it, and you you treat cricket as a, a serious sport when it's when you're exposed to it in a professional environment. If you see cricket on the TV like we were seeing it, where Lords and the Oval and all these other venues are packed, twenty thousand plus people sold out, you you interpret it as a serious professional sport, and you're in that environment. And and as right after the last day's play at the Oval ended, I went online uh, straight away the next day onto the Ticket Tech website, into the Ticketmaster website, and I bought tickets to the first three days of the Super Test. There was that World Eleven versus Australia uh, Super yep. Super Series at the SCG. So I went straight, straight on, uh, online the next morning, bought tickets to the first three days because it was uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I had Monday classes, so I couldn't go. But I went to the first three days. And then I was booked most, you know, the semester ends in November. The academic calendar is different uh, for the U.S. So uh, most kids who are living in MUV, the Americans, went straight home uh, after their final exam in November. But your semester in the U.S., your spring semester, doesn't start until mid-January. And I was of the opinion, well, I I don't know if I'm ever going to come back to Australia. I'm going to stay there for as long as possible. So I had booked my tickets to not come back until January 10th. And so my intention was to stay for six weeks after the semester ended through Christmas and New Year's. And that had nothing to do with cricket. I had pre-planned that because I my initial intention was to travel and to you know, just go around Australia and do lots of stuff. Instead, <laughs> you know, the, right after the, the fifth day of the Oval Test ends, yeah, I go and, and buy tickets to the Super Test, and then I also bought tickets to the first four days of the uh, New Year's Test at, at Sydney. And, um, uh, you know, you can only buy a fifth day ticket if play extended that long. And and then I went and bought tickets to, um, I went to a New South Wales uh, state match against Queensland where I remember Phil Jakes scored like 150 something. It was, it was a personal best Phil Jakes at the time. Yeah, it was it was high quality cricket in, in the one day competition at the SCG against Queensland. You had Matthew Hayden opening the batting for Queensland, and you had in the New South Wales team you had Michael Clark and Jakes and Simon Cadditch and um, I'm trying to think if Moises Henriques was in the team. Yeah, that would have been the start of Moises, I'd say. And then I mean, but the point is, you know, even for domestic cricket, it was a very very high standard. You know, so I I went to I think at least one maybe two domestic one day matches i didn't go to any one dayers australia one dayers because they didn't have any in sydney when i was there but you know i I, essentially the point is i bought tickets and went to as many cricket professional cricket opportunities in sydney as i possibly could and um 
I had I was wanting to go to Adelaide. The West Indies and and South Africa were touring during that season. It was uh, the New Year's test was against South Africa, and I had wanted to go to Adelaide for the third test in the West Indies series, but I couldn't because I had a final exam clashing, and I was like so bitter about it because Brian Lara scores two twenty six in Adelaide. I, I was like, oh, I want to see that in person. Like, oh, I should have skipped my final <laughs> exam. You know? I mean, that's 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 how um, you know fanatical I'd become about cricket at this stage, and I just I couldn't get enough of it. And I I remember um, just to wrap up this this strand of the thread. So so I yeah, gonna be through Christmas and New Year's in in uh, Sydney, and my mom had made plans to come and spend Christmas in, or she was gonna spend Christmas with me because she's just, uh, she was a school teacher at that point in time. She's retired now, but she was a school teacher, and she gets Christmas off so it was easy for her to come whereas everybody else in my family was working and wouldn't have been able to so um she comes to sydney and we had a place booked to stay in in downtown sydney because i you had to move out of the uh, macquarie university village at that point they you know the housing was essentially shut so we would we had to stay in a hotel and um she landed on like the second to last day of the Perth test when Brad Hodge scored double hundred in Perth against South Africa. And we went out to the Blue Mountains on like a road trip. And like the whole day we were on the road, the bus, on the, the shuttle bus to the Blue Mountains. I, I was listening to the test match on ABC radio. And um, my mom is wanting to do like touristy things with me. And I'm kind of like half paying attention, like, uh-huh, uh-huh. And she's like, come on, like the Blue Mountains this is amazing. Like the, the, the three sisters or whatever. And let's take some photos. And I'm like, no, no, no. Like Brad Hodge is on 140. Like, I need to listen to this. <laughs> and she's she she was like just like rolling her eyes like all right whatever. And um, I was getting really annoyed because the further we got out into the Blue Mountains, the worse my radio reception got. So I couldn't like listen to like the proper full day's play. And then like by the end of the day, when we got our shuttle bus to come back into the city, and we we I think we came into like Pitt Street on uh, the main um, bus depot there in uh, the CBD. And, like, it was, like, when Brad Hodge was in the 190s. And so, like, she was, like, window shopping and, like, wanting to go into different shops. And I, and I was, like, kind of stalling and, like, pretending, like, oh, I'm just, let me just, uh, I'm just looking at uh, these electronic shop, whatever. And I was, like, passing by, like, either a Dick, a, a Dick Smith or a Harvey Norman's or whatever. And, like, looking at the TVs in the window showing, like, Brad Hodge about to, like, get to his double hundred. And I'm, like, no, I'm, I'm just, like, hold on a minute. Just wait, yeah, just another minute, just another minute. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. And, um... Again, she kind of tolerated it, and, and you know, the, the match ended, I think, the next day, whatever, ended in a draw. And then the next four days were okay. Through Christmas Day was fine. You know, then the Sydney to Hobart yacht race starts, and she wanted to go out to the harbor for that, see the, all the boats leave. And I was like, ah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just tired. I'll, I'll come out in a little bit. Um, just, you know, let me, let me get some time to get ready. And I was stalling because, like, the Boxing Day test match was starting, and I wanted to watch it on the TV. <laughs> And so my cuss, he winds up scoring. He 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 set. He was batting with Glenn McGraw. He had they set like a record tenth wicket stand where like Hussey was started the stand in like the eighties or nineties. But they added they added like I think close to hundred or maybe more than hundred together. And I was just like oh, just like five more minutes, just ten more minutes. I just want to wait to to see my cuss finish batting. And it was going on and on for like more than two hours. And um. Now she, my my mom is in like tears because she wants to go watch the Sydney to Hobart yacht race in the harbor, and I'm like, no, I'm standing here watching the test match. <laughs> uh, you know, the next day it, it continues like I'm just standing. It's like, ah, oh, there's something. There was always something happening during the test match. So yeah, it just it just kept on happening. Where yeah, I'd say oh, five more minutes, ten more minutes, oh, and my mom starts crying. So so this is now like I think day two or day three of the test match, and my mom was due to fly home on the thirtieth, and it must have been day two. Because my brother's birthday is the 27th, and we we called back to the U.S. to speak to him on his birthday, and like my mom is on the phone just blubbering in in tears, saying like I don't know what's happened to Peter, like he's not he's not the same person, and uh, like what she's like what happened to my son, like I don't understand, and I think. I would, I would, t- like, I would send these emails back and have these phone calls all throughout from July through December, telling everybody how like into cricket I was and explaining to them that this was like central to my experience in Australia. And I think they just kind of were like, uh huh, uh huh, yeah, yeah, uh huh, oh, okay, uh huh, yeah, that's nice. Oh, oh, that's nice. All right, good for you. And they didn't really appreciate it or understand it. And now my my mom was being thrown into the deep end, into the like the experience of like what what it's like to have a son who's now addicted to cricket. And she obviously she wasn't she wasn't enjoying it at all. So uh, she's she's on the phone crying like very very uh, long 
And um, she hands the phone back to me to talk to my brother again. After I already talked to him, I already wished him happy birthday. And he's like, Peter, what the hell is wrong with you? You're making our mother cry. She came down there to to spend Christmas with you, and you made her very upset, and she's not having any fun. Like, how could you treat her that way? What the hell is the matter with you? Like, knock this cricket crap off and, like, just, you know, spend the last couple days there with, with your mom and, like, make sure she's enjoying herself and this is supposed to be a special trip for her and you're making it terrible and you know how dare you you know you're supposed to you know be better than this you know you're her son whatever and i'm and, and they're like you know they're like you don't understand you know what it, you know she's going through right now she's she's crying so much when you tell me all this stuff that you're not being nice and i'm like i don't understand no, you don't understand. My cussie just scored 130. <laughs> Shane Warren is taking all these wickets and Glenn McGraw is doing this. You don't understand what's going on. It's the Boxing Day test match. And, like, you know, you just don't want to appreciate the cricket experience I have and blah, blah, blah. And he's, and he's like, and now he's probably thinking, like, all right, all right, when he comes back to the U.S., we need to, like, commit him to an insane asylum because there's something clearly not right with this kid. And so, uh, you know, that I mean, again, these are you know the experiences I was having, and I think then it was only then that my family started to like finally kind of get a sense of like, all right, this isn't just like a passing fad. Like Peter really genuinely is deeply into cricket now, and this is not going to change anytime soon. And so yeah, so then I came back. After, I stayed for you know my mom went back home on the thirtieth. I and I was like, thank God, because because as far as I was concerned, if she stayed through New Year's, she was going to ru- ruin the New Year's Day test for me, and I, I couldn't let that happen. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> so I was like, oh, I was like, thank you. She laughed. Now I can go to the New Year's test by myself and like enjoy it. And so <laughs> so um. Went to the New Year's test, had a blast. You know, Ricky Ponting scores 100 in each innings. That was his 100th test match against Africa. And um, Australia chased, I think it was 277 or 278 on the last day. Matthew Hayden scored a century, I think, in that second innings, too. And um, I go I go back to the U.S. for my spring semester. And, again, I was, I was the number one concern I had was, like, oh, cricket's everywhere in Australia. I don't know if there will be cricket in the U.S. when I go back. You know, what do, what do I do? And uh, this might be the last opportunity I ever get to see cricket. And I know, you know, I have to really just soak this up as much as possible. So on the Qantas flight back to Los Angeles, as part of their, like, personal entertainment screen offerings, they had a SBS documentary recap of the Ashes from that summer. And it was basically like, a, a, it was like a two-hour highlights package where they spent, like, 20 minutes on each of the five tests and... <laughs> roll through the highlights and then after each test highlights package finished they would go back to the studio with simon hill and dean jones and greg matthews and they'd discuss and recap whatever and it, yeah so it was a two-hour thing that they had on the on the offering on the Qantas flight and i watched it was it was like a 14 and a half hour 15 hour Qantas flight from sydney to los angeles and i watched the thing seven times on a loop <laughs> literally I, I didn't watch anything else and um, whoever was on the flight next to me probably thought I was, again, a lunatic. But in my head, I was like, no, I need to keep watching this. I need to commit this to memory. This is like watching a song or listening to a song and playing it on a loop over and over so you can, like, remember the words and, like, learn the lyrics. I was like, no, I have to keep watching this because I need to commit this to memory. I don't know if I'll ever get a chance to watch cricket again, and I have to, like, take every opportunity on this flight. And um, I get back to my university. I was going to a university in Nebraska called Creighton University in Omaha. And um, now I'm, like, Googling all the stuff about cricket. Like, it was a cricket in Nebraska, you know, cricket on campus. Where can I find cricket? And um, I came into contact with a, a kid, this Indian kid, who was from Mangalore in Karnataka. And he was like, uh, he was like, yeah, yeah, um, I've got, like, a streaming subscription. Like, you can come to my dorm room and we can watch cricket. And he was, like, all excited because, again, in Nebraska, it's not exactly easy to find, like, other people interested in cricket. And so um, one of the first things I did was um, there was an India-Pakistan test series at the time. And it was for people who... India-Pakistan means it was the series when um, Irfan Patan took a hat-trick in the first over and then Cameron Akmal responded with a century when Pakistan were in a huge hole and I remember watching that match in its room and then and then alternately like I, I found for, and from an Australia perspective I was still like hardcore into you know following Australia you could you could stream the ABC online their radio broadcasts so like the tri-series that followed between I think it was Sri Lanka and South Africa, West Indies had gone home, but yeah, I think Sri Lanka joined South Africa. So listening to the tri-series broadcasts 
which were coming on at like nine o'clock, ten o'clock at night, and I would I would in my room in Nebraska, I would fall asleep, you know, at the end of the first innings, early in the second innings, listening to the one day series so with Jim Maxwell and all the you know Jeff Lawson and um, Kerry O'Keefe and all those guys, and um, I just couldn't get enough. But it, it was becoming obvious to me, like over the next two years, there were not going to be genuine opportunities to get involved in cricket journalism in the U.S. So I, I finished my last two years and I thought, all right, if I want to get an, an opportunity to get a career in cricket journalism, I need to go overseas because I couldn't envision any opportunities in the U.S. And so I, I wanted to either go back to Australia and get a visa to go there or, or go to the U.K. And um, it was going to be a little bit easier to get a visa to go to the U.K. Um, as much as I wanted to go back to Australia, I thought the U.K. was a better option. And so um, I went to the U.K., got a, a six-month visa, and I started, uh, I joined a local club i want i wanted to a have a proper club cricket experience because the the two years of club cricket i played in nebraska again it's like everywhere else in the u.s you're playing on fields with four or five inch high grass uh, on an artificial strip you know with a matting laid over concrete whatever and you're not learning the way you should be learning how to play cricket so i wanted to get a proper club cricket experience in the uk joined a cricket club in north london uh, in hertfordshire and then the second part of it was wanting to um pursue a job in cricket journalism and I submitted my CV and my resume to all sorts of newspapers and radio outlets uh, and trying trying to find anywhere I could that would you know position me to try and get into cricket journalism and basically everybody laughed at me nobody took me seriously because they thought you're an American what the hell do you know about cricket and especially for from a job perspective, if you've got you know 30,000, 40,000, 50,000 people who are applicants in the UK who have born and brought up in the UK, you can trust that they're going to know cricket and you're not going to have to worry or have this concern about, well, if we hire them, are they going to know about cricket? They, they've been raised with it. This American claims he knows something about cricket, but, you know, does he really? And, um, and so nobody took me seriously. And it was a very frustrating experience, and I left, and I mean, one of the small glimmers I had was I went to this job fair that was run by The Guardian, and there was a guy there who was running a, an NCTJ program that he was trying to sell people on. NCTJ is this it's National Certificate of Trained Journalists, I think is what it stands for. And basically, the guy was telling me, he was trying to hard sell me on like signing up for this program to get a journalism certificate in the UK. And I said to him, well, I already have a journalism degree from my university in the US. That was what I got my bachelor's in. And he's, you know, he, he starts to ask me, well, what, I, what do I know about cricket? And I say, well, I responded, like, why should I join your program? What's the benefit in terms of, like, who are are some, like, well-known people who've had career success after graduating from your program? And he says, well, and he he says, well, we have a former England player who uh, he played, uh, he was was an off-spinner, and he he played uh, all about, you know, five to ten years ago. He had quite a decent career. He played for England, and yeah, he's he's now graduated, and he's got a career. And he wouldn't say his name, and I, I knew he he wasn't saying his name because he was testing me to figure out did I know who this guy was who he might be referring to and he was giving me all these clues and I said oh is it Richard Dawson and he goes yes yes very good very good like you sound like you would be an excellent candidate for our cricket journalism scheme he was always destined to be the answer to a trivia question wasn't he with that um, the, the the bowler that Steve Waugh hit before for the last match. The half volley to Steve Waugh, yeah. And so, uh, and and, so I, and I said, well, why do I need your thing, your program? Like, I've got a journalism certificate already. And he's like, he says, well, you'll never get a job in this country without an NCTJ certificate. And I just thought, like, oh, great, you know, this guy's running a racket of uh, NCTJ certificates, and unless I if unless I pay my uh, my racket fee for you know, it was a large fee. It wasn't it wasn't just a you know drop. In the bucket it was it was i think it was yeah eight six thousand or eight thousand pounds and i i thought to myself i just you know just spent a hundred thousand dollars in the u.s you know that was that was what my four-year degree wound up costing with tuition fees and all that i'm not i'm already in student debt like i don't need more student debt and there's no guarantee so i so i was just kind of frustrated went back to the u.s and it was ironically it was only after i came back to the u.s that i actually started getting opportunities in cricket journalism and uh initially it was i had 
I was substitute teaching at the time. This was when I came back from the UK. It was late August, early September 2008, right when the global financial crisis was about to go pedal to the metal. So basically, it was like, you know, trying to get a, a, a journalism job in a newspaper in the U, in New Jersey, where I'd moved back to. I went to University of Nebraska, but was born and brought up in New York, New Jersey area. And all these newspapers and media outlets were laying off people left and right. Every every job in, in that you know economy was was getting slashed, and so couldn't find a job. Was applying to everything under the sun, journalism and non journalism related. Wasn't getting any responses. At that time, I had sent out resumes and filled out applications to at least a hundred different jobs. Literally anything. I mean, so I I remember just as one example, I had I had submitted my resume to a library. I was just I just was just looking for it was a ten dollar an hour job to um, be an assistant at a library, a town library, and um, that was one of the few callbacks I got. And the head librarian called me back and said, "Hey, you know, you've gotten your uh, resume. You look like you've got some outstanding experience. You've, you know, you're well traveled. You've got you've got a degree in journalism, and you've had extensive job experience throughout college with various jobs." But she said, "But you've never worked in a library before." And I just think it'll be a bit time-consuming training you on the ins and outs of the Dewey Decimal System and how to restock the shelves in the library from when people check books out. And we're really just looking at somebody who's already got library experience that we know we can count on and we won't have to spend extensive time training. So I think at this point in time, we'll keep your resume on file, but for now we're going to have to pass to look for somebody who's more experienced working within a library environment. And I thought to myself, like, good God, if I can't even get a, a job working in a library, like, what am I going to do? You know, essentially, she, she was like, you're overqualified to work in a library. I was just like, well, I just need a job because I don't have any money. So um, uh, that underscored kind of the dire nature of the state of the economy at that point in time. And um, I was out of work for good, like genuine work. I was, like I said, I was substitute teaching, but that was just sporadic. You'd get a call if if they needed a teacher on the day. And I might've been doing that two, three days a week tops on a good week. So, but that was my only source of income essentially. And so um, I was looking for a cricket club to join in New Jersey because hey, my family was telling me like, hey, if you make connections in, the, in with a cricket club, maybe, you know, these people are, are genuinely well connected from your past experiences. And, and, you know, one of these people might have a job in their company or whatever, or you might find some other outlet. So I was, I was looking for a cricket club to join. And I went to a training session with a team at an indoor facility in New Jersey and, uh, at the net session I was at, at this indoor facility, I came out of the nets and the owner wanted to speak to me. And he's like, hey, you know, I just want to introduce myself. Like, I wanted to find out more about you. And I said, why is that? And he's like, you're the first white person who's ever come into our facility before. And I was like, oh, okay. And I was, I was, it was almost like, in a sense, I was like being treated like a zoo animal. It was like, ooh, this is like a new species. Like we've never encountered before. But it was like uh, true to an extent. Yeah, all the people who were in the cricket community who were coming into the the indoor facilities are from the West Indian and the Asian communities. So, uh, you know, forget any Australian or English people coming in. Just no white people, period, coming in. And here I was, this American who's coming in. He's like, oh, we never had, you know somebody like you before, you know, tell, tell me a bit about yourself. And so we started talking and, uh, he says, we, we talked for almost a good hour and he said, Hey, you know, we've got a radio station, uh, program that we do on this South Asian music station, but it's a, it's a one hour cricket program every Saturday. And he says, it's at three o'clock. Would you like to come on and be our guest today? I was like, okay, I don't have anything better to do. It was, it was like 11 o'clock in the morning when we were having this net session. So I, you know, I would have been hanging around for an extra four hours, but again, I didn't have anything better to do. So came on to this cricket show that they do every Saturday, was their guest, and you know, it was a general cricket show, so we were talking IPL and whatever else was going on at that point in time. At the end of the show, he's like, uh, hey, would you want to come back next week and help co-host? I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> I'm not going to say no. And then he's like, oh, and then we get well, start walking out to the parking lot. He's like, oh, by the way, we have a website too. He's like, uh, do you want to write articles for us? And I was like, well, I've got a degree in journalism. And, he's, and I was like, yeah, I can. He's, I was like, what do you want me to write about? And he's like, anything cricket. Just you decide. You come up with a stuff, just submit it. And if it's good enough, we'll publish it, whatever. And we'll pay you We'll pay you for it. I was like, oh, okay. okay. So um, and then, uh, you know, came back, started co-hosting the, the radio show and writing articles. And this went on for about a month and a half, writing articles. And then um, there was a national under-19 tournament that was going to be held in Brooklyn, New York. 
on Memorial Day weekend. And all these kids who were in line to be picked for the USA Under-19 team for that year's World Cup qualifier were going to be in these regional teams at this national tournament. And I thought it was a good opportunity for me to meet some of these kids and just kind of do some interviews for some feature content. And so I went in for the final day at, at this national tournament in New York, Memorial Day weekend. And um, it was fantastic cricket. The, the level of quality was extremely high. But one of the things that stood out to me was there was nobody there in, in terms of covering it. N- nobody uh, was committing any any effort to giving these kids exposure. And I thought, wait a second, like there's an opportunity here. You know, these kids have a lot of stories that are fascinating and worth being told, but nobody's really giving them the opportunity to, to tell those stories. And I thought, all right, let me... I mean, work and, and do some interviews here. And, and it was also the tip of the iceberg in terms of like, there were a lot of organizational problems at this event. And a lot of people were, you know, screaming and shouting in terms of like wanting to highlight the issues that they felt needed to be corrected. And again, nobody was listening to them. And it was, all right, here's an opportunity. You know, these people want want to tell the story of how to improve these tournaments, make them better because they're so organizationally um, shambolic and yet nobody's shining light on it. And so I kind of focused on that. And it, on that day, there was somebody who worked for ESPN. It was an Indian, an Indian guy who worked in their mobile apps division. He, he didn't have anything to do with Cricket Info at the time, but he, and so I met him, and I just, I just saw him as somebody who liked cricket, and he just wanted to talk cricket with me, and we were just two guys chatting cricket. I didn't really think anything of the fact that he worked for ESPN, and so we just talked, and we just circled the boundary for a good hour, talking to each other about cricket, and, you know, the cricket that was happening in front of us, and just cricket in general. And like I said, I didn't think anything of it. We were just two guys chatting cricket, and then I kept on doing reporting work for for Dream Cricket. It, that was the website it was DreamCricket.com. That was doing coverage for various U.S. Uh, national tournaments throughout the summer. And kept on building up a profile of writing and reporting on stuff for them. And at the at, initially it was. I, I went up to Toronto six weeks later after that National Under-19 tournament to cover um, the Under-19 World Cup qualifier, the regional qualifier. I went on my own money. Again, I, I had, like, I th- at the time, I think I had $300 in my bank account. I had, like, nothing. And um, I wouldn't have been able to stay in a hotel. And I called up my, my brother's best friend. My brother was getting married that summer, and his, his best man lived in Toronto. And I said, hey, Evan, you know, would you mind? I really want to cover this tournament, but I don't have the money for a hotel. Would, would you be able to have me, like, stay on a couch or if you got a spare room? And he was like, yeah, come on up. Absolutely. And so I drove up, bare bones budget. I was gone every night for dinner. I went to a Chinese restaurant, and I ordered white rice. I didn't have money to, like, get the actual entree. So just... Is that where it all started? PDP white rice on tour. That's 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 the genesis. <laughs> and so um, I... Uh, Covered the tournament and I got a fantastic response, and I came back from Toronto and the and the guy who runs Dream Cricket, you know, I'd paid my own way up to Toronto, wrote the articles, and when I came back, he said, "Hey, I said, hey, there's a, there's a tournament coming up in Washington D.C., a national tournament. You want me to go down and cover that?" And he said, "Yeah." Same thing. I stayed. I had a, a college roommate from Nebraska who was living in um, Baltimore. Uh, who I said, hey, you know, can I can I stay with you? And he said, yeah. And um, when I the fir- after the first night that I was down there, the guy who runs Dream Cricket said, hey, there's another tournament coming up in Minneapolis. And I, I said, well, I don't know if I can drive that far. And he said, no, we want to like pay to fly you out there, and we'll get you a rental car, and like we'll pay for everything. I was like, oh, okay. So, like, yeah. And then he said, oh, and by the way, we'll reimburse you for uh, all your expenses in Washington, D.C., and we'll reimburse you for all the expenses you had going to Toronto. And I was like, oh, like, all right, now it's leading to something. Now something's happening. And, um, like, the effort that I put in, the hard work to, to, you know, try and pay my own way initially to cover some of these events, now it was, now it was leading to something more substantial. You know, some, some, I was seeing some results. And, and it did not just, you know, the, the feedback from the coverage itself, but, you know, the, f- the feedback that it was good enough standard that they were willing to actually pay, you know, for the, all the budget expenses. And then at the end of that summer, uh, in September, out of the blue, I got a call from that guy from ESPN who I had met in May. And I hadn't hadn't communicated with him at all over the, over the next four months. And then out of the blue, he calls me up and he said, hey, I got your number from somebody. Um, we've got an opening. We need... We need a U.S. Uh, correspondent that they had just parted ways with their previous uh, U.S. correspondent, and they needed somebody to fill their slot as as a freelancer, as a U.S. correspondent. And um, 
he said, hey, I've been following all your work on Dream Cricket for the last couple of months. Really impressed. Like, we need somebody now to start contributing content for Cricket Info. Are you interested? And I was like, yeah, okay. <laughs> I wasn't going to say no. Um, and so, uh, literally, from, from the... Uh, I think from the time I started writing articles for Dream Cricket in April 2008, you know, five months later, I was being contacted by Crick Info to, ask to write for them. And then my first article, article for Crick Info was published in October 2008. And it, it progressed into a, a more of a full-time role for them. So, you know, the great irony for me, and that, that that's basically how, you know, I got from nowhere and being jobless to a, a, a permanent job in cricket journalism. And the, and the great irony for me is, uh, when I've been to places in the UK to cover events, again, there's this kind of um, very arrogant mentality locally of like, again, going back to the guy I met who said, oh, you'll never get a job unless you get an NCTJ certificate. And, you know, you can't cover cricket and nobody will take nobody will take you seriously if you don't have an NCTJ certificate. And yet, I've you know, the opportunities that I get initially were not in England, they were elsewhere. And have been able to push me forward to, to have a more... Um, permanent career and and yeah so when i've been to lords to cover like for example when i've been to lords to cover the afghanistan versus the mcc or, or nepal versus the mcc again I, I people kind of i do get treated at times by some people there when they find out i'm american they're oh they start talking to me like oh this must be your first time here like if you need me to explain any of the rules to you like just come over and ask you know we'll we'll we'll, we'll help you out you know i'm, I'm sure this is all new to you and, um, you know, there was one instance of this guy who was, I don't think he was being intentionally condescending, but he was, um, again, he was, oh, you know, oh, uh, you know, nice to meet you. Oh, you're from America. Oh, that's so, that's so exciting. There's, um, cricket in America. Wow. This must be, you know, a new experience for you and totally unfamiliar. And like, he's like, you know, do you, do you know about Lords? Like, do you know how special this place is? And like, do you understand like what a big deal it is for you to be here? And I was like, ah, oh, yeah, you know, yeah, I, I know about Lords, and he's and he's going on and on about oh well you know I've been covering cricket for thirty years blah 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 Lords this and Lords that and he's going on and on again with this whole oh if you need any help you know do you understand what's going on yeah 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 I, yeah, I know and I'm just I'm just kind of trying to be low key and keep my mouth shut and just let him go on if he's gonna try and teach me cricket and so um then he's he's uh he's telling me how how amazing it is that after 30 years in journalism this past april he was published for the first time in wisdom almanac and he, you know he's like um you've probably never heard of the wisdom almanac but it, it's a very big deal oh i'm waiting for the punchline here and uh you know it's it's you know for, for me to get published in there after 30 years of hard work like it's a huge achievement and i'm like oh really wisdom almanac oh, okay i've been published in there 10 years in a row <laughs> And then he shut up. And then I didn't have to hear it from him telling me, ex- explaining cricket to me for the rest of the day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, from time to time, you'll, you'll get that. Um, that's one of the things I'm hoping, you know, will change, whether it's through myself or the work that you guys do um, is, is huge. And just to, like, spread the word, you know, that's why I feel like, you know, this podcast and what you guys are doing is so important and it's vital. Just literally from a basic standpoint, to get the word out, hey, guys, guess what? There are other people outside of England, outside of Australia. That, there are other countries who play cricket and watch cricket and know about cricket if you open your eyes. It's funny you talking about the 2005 Ashes series being on. Um, for the 2013 series, actually had a similar situation i had a mexican mate on exchange at macquarie who i played football or or soccer with uh at the university and i'm sure by the end of it he had a pretty good grasp of the game because i watched a bit of the ashes with him as well and he was pretty interested and there's i mean there's so many people i've come across who have had similar experiences what you guys are talking about what i've talked about uh the impact that that series had on on various people from all walks of life who whether they that was a chance for them to have cricket rekindled or that was their first exposure to cricket. I can't begin to, you know, again, go on about other Americans who that again, that was either they were similarly on a, on a study abroad experience or they were traveling abroad uh, for work or they were living abroad for work at that point in time. 
and that was their inter- first interaction with cricket, and they got hooked. And to me, that refutes any argument that people make about, oh, Americans can never get into test cricket, and you have to sell them on T20 because their attention span won't last for anything more than T20 cricket. And we've talked about this on previous podcasts. I'm of the belief that, again, it's the quality of the content that matters, whether it's 20 overs, 50 overs, 10 overs, five days. If you're giving me elite you know, best of the best matchup against each other. If it's Shane Warren versus Andrew Flintoff or Ricky Ponting versus Steve Harmison, whatever, you know, I want to see the best versus the best. And if you uh, tell me, you know, oh, you can you can go watch the Cincinnati Bengals play the Cleveland Browns for, you know, $150 in a front row seat in Cincinnati. And, it, oh, you'll love it because it's three hours. Garbage. No. I won't love it. The duration of time has nothing to do with it. If you're giving me two crappy teams and you're telling me, well, you'll love it because it's only three hours. No, it's three hours of torture if they're two garbage teams. If you're, <laughs> if, you're giving me, if you're giving me the best of the best, I don't care if it's you know Usain Bolt running in 9.6 seconds and that's the best of the best versus five days of test match cricket or four days of Masters golf, whatever. If I'm watching the best of the best, the quality is what will entertain me. And the proof of that was in that Ashes series. The quality was so high that it introduced... And sucked in so many people into cricket. Well, the other thing is, I mean, America already has baseball. So, you know, people talk about you need to make cricket more like baseball. Well, why would they watch a knockoff version of baseball when they could just watch baseball, right? 100%. 100%. I'm a big believer in that. I, I don't want... If I wanted to watch something like baseball, guess what? <laughs> I'd watch baseball. <laughs> and and again, I think that's something that yeah, cricket administrators, cricket... Um, proselytizers don't necessarily do a good job of stressing the unique selling points of cricket. They get lost trying to make crickets like other things that they think people will like. No, the uniqueness to me and to a lot of other people is what draws us in. We want something that's unique, that's different, that's not like other sports. That is what makes cricket in a lot of ways captivating. Well, that rounds out the interview. And just before we go, a little housekeeping. With Christmas and the holiday season fast approaching, this episode will be our last for the year. We'll take a little break before starting back early 2022, but don't worry, there's an EC holiday special in the works to tide you over as we review all the highs and lows of another bumpy year in cricket. Till then though, it's goodbye from me, Nick Skinner, and the whole team at Emerging Cricket. We really appreciate your company over the year and wish you a safe and fulfilling silly season with friends and family. Bye for now.